Well, good morning, Lake City. Don't you love that statement, God shed his grace on thee, America? We certainly are a country in need of grace, and I just want to wish you a blessed Fourth of July weekend, and I can't think of a better way for us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to take a few minutes to pray for our country. So you'll see some petitions that will be coming up on the screen. And I'd like for us to participate together by praying when you see each petition, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. God the Father, Jesus, beside him, interceding on behalf of us and our nation. So would you join me in prayer? For God's love to be the foundation of our hope, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's mercy in stopping the spread of this virus, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's justice and restoration to flow here on earth as it does in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's healing of those who are sick throughout the world, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's strength for medical personnel serving tirelessly, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's insight to be given to researchers seeking solutions, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's wisdom to guide civic leaders and health officials, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's guidance for law enforcement officers who seek to serve our communities, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's protection of those in and near protests, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's peace to guard us from fear or anxiety, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's provision for those whose livelihoods and income have been affected, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's creativity to make us agents of love and compassion, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. For God's spirit to draw people to the saving power of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. And God's word says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me for our country. It's so good to be with you, Lake City. I'm one of the new pastors on staff, Pastor Mark, and what a, a fascinating time to join the church. Honored to serve under the mentorship and leadership of Pastor Jim, and I just love the team. And my first introduction to the team was Brady Bunch style, to see all these faces on squares on a computer screen. And I think the second activity was being invited to serve on a reopening task force to reopen a church. I never expected that those would be the first opportunities and context to be together. But isn't it good in the midst of all of these things, Jesus Christ remains the same today yesterday and forever. And I'm grateful to have this opportunity to open up this series called Unwavering Faith as we look at the second letter of the Thessalonians and I think we'll find and discover wonderful things for us in our ability to be unwavering in our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. 
I'd like you for, for just a minute to think about that person or those people who were game changers in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That person who took the time to share the gospel with you or to invest in you as a believer that made you more and more a follower of Jesus than you had been before. And think about if you were to hear their voice or see their face, there's a special feeling that goes on inside when you think about those people. I think of a man by the name of Jack who was a pastor of student ministries in St. Paul, Minnesota that I walked up to the church as a lost college student. He met me at the door and took me in his office and shared the gospel with me. And we've not been in contact often through the years, but when I hear from Pastor Jack, there's just kind of an infusion of joy in my life, and I pay attention to what he shares with me. Now think about this church in Thessalonica, a church in the middle of Greece, a church that was only about a year old, planted under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And all of a sudden, they get word that a letter is inbound from their father in the faith. Many of these people came to know Jesus as a result of the ministry of Paul. And if you could just imagine the excitement of, he's got word for us coming to them. That probably was that sense of anticipation and excitement to know a word from Paul. So let's read the first few verses of this letter from this beloved father of the faith to his children in the faith in this city called Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of everyone for, of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and all the afflictions that you are enduring. This church that received this letter was really a gathering of new believers, probably a church only about a year old. And it was started by the ministry of this fascinating man called the Apostle Paul. But he wasn't once always an apostle. He was a persecutor of the church of God. He was a leading religious leader in the Jewish faith, one who was groomed for high positions of success and authority. And he actually was standing beside the garments of the first martyr who died for his faith, Stephen, as he was being stoned to death. And as Paul continued his mission to try to snuff out the church of God on a road to Damascus, God appeared to him in a flash of light and knocked him and blinded him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment in time, he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ and the trajectory of his life was changed. And God called them on a mission to go throughout the regions to share the gospel and to plant churches. And as Paul was on what was his second missionary journey to go about the regions of Turkey and Greece in modern day, he had a vision of a Macedonian saying, can you come to our region and help us? And in response to that, Paul was moving through, stopped in the town of Philippi, saw a church birth, was thrown into prison, and eventually was able to escape and then went to Thessalonica. And Paul's practice was, was to go into the local synagogue and to speak to the Jewish people and the God-fearers, reasoning with them 
through the Old Testament that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. And marvelously, people came to faith, but the local leaders stirred up again a rebellion, and Paul and Silas and Timothy had to flee away, and they were in the city of Corinth. And I can imagine Paul's heart longed to know how the church of Thessalonica was doing and wanted to send a word of encouragement. So he penned a letter to them, which we know as First Thessalonians. Very likely that Timothy was the bearer of that letter as he went to the church and got word of how the church was doing and knew that they were in a time of suffering and persecution and there was confusion of teaching about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So just a few months later, in the year 50 A.D., a second letter comes to the church of Thessalonia, the one that we have before us. It's one of the shortest letters. If you think of the New Testament after the book of Acts and after the the letter of um, Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews, all of those letters were written by the Apostle Paul. And 2 Thessalonians is one of the shortest of letters. Chapter 1 talks about the importance of, of the great hope we have in Jesus and his coming and faithfully standing fast in the midst of persecution. The second chapter is correction on the false teaching. You see, somebody sent a counterfeit letter to Thessalonica claiming to be Paul that confused people about the coming of Jesus. And third is correction for the wrong actions of people's understanding of this teacher. Some were stopping and working and they were becoming a burden upon the church of God. And Paul has lovingly correcting them. And so as we look this this morning of these first four verses, what I'd like for us to consider is the four marks of unwavering faith. What are the critical characteristics that you and I, the churches, both then and now need to have so that we are steadfast and unwavering in our faith with Jesus Christ? And that first mark that we're going to take a look at, and we'll spend most of our time on this mark because it is so important, is a church grounded in God as their Father and Jesus as their Lord. To the church in Thessalonica. Now you ask the question, what is a church? The the COVID virus has actually challenged us to think that, and I love to see the t-shirt, the church has left the building. Because the church is really the gathered body of believers. It's not a building with stone and mortar, but it's when people come together. And this word church in Greek is an interesting word. It's ekklesia, which actually doesn't mean anything spiritual in its nature. It means people who are called out to come together for a specific purpose. In a sense, you could say people going to a concert to listen to their favorite musician were called out ones for that purpose. You could think of people watching their favorite sports game as called out ones doing that activity in that way and in that name. But we have Jesus here talking about this ecclesia, calling this as my church, the church of Jesus Christ. Those who have come to faith, coming together as fellow believers to worship and to lift up high the name of Jesus. And usually anybody who gathers together knows the purpose why they're there. Let's say that you were at a Seahawks game and you were kind of doing a man at the stadium interview and you had a microphone and you came to someone and said, why are you here? And they said, I just, I come here for the hot dogs. I just love the hot dogs. Century Stadium, you go, whoa, are you off your your rocker? 
Maybe you'd ask another one, why are you here? I just love the astroturf at Century Field. There's nothing finer than this astroturf. Maybe another you ask, why are you here? I just love birds of prey that live near the ocean. You think, you're, you're a few cans short of a six-pack there, brother. What's, what's wrong with you? No, the answer is, I'm the 12th man. I am here for my team. I am all in to see the Seahawks come to victory. And you see, as we gather as called out ones, we are all in to worship our Lord Jesus Christ together. But our collective voices, our collective hearts are raising up the name of Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to a called out group of believers whose faith is rock solid. And what makes them and what makes you and I unique in terms of that is you are an adopted child of your heavenly father. What does Paul say in this verse? He said, to those in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important that we take the time to think about what that means, that God is our Father. What an amazing thing that the Father of Jesus becomes our Father when we put our faith and trust in Him. And Jesus even used the dear term called Abba, meaning Daddy or Papa. That a God is, who is so great, who is so mighty, offers us this amazing relationship that by faith in Christ, we become sons and daughters of God Almighty. I love to hear stories about adoption and how a, a parent came to be connected with their child. Beautiful, beautiful stories. But you know what? When you have faith in Jesus Christ... The thing that each of us share in common is that we are adopted sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And think about it from the perspective of an orphan child. Did, a, did an orphan child ever start a, a GoFundMe Adopt Me account? You know, did, they, did they form a, a marketing team like we are the most marketable being adopted? No, it was on the gracious choice of that parent that wanted them to become their son and to become their daughter brought into the family, given a new name. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. But when we talk about our Father in Heaven as well, it's fair to say, and it's honest to say, that all of us have had a wide spectrum of experiences with an earthly father. If you had a father that modeled the characteristics of our Heavenly Father, what a joy, what a blessing, what a grace that is. But we've all had across the spectrum now, some may think of the word father and there's a burst of pain inside of them. For some, it may be a blank screen of just not even knowing who that person is. But whether you've had a wonderful father or whether you've had a father that is less than perfect, we intuitively know the kind of father that our hearts long for and our hearts desire. You want a father who protects you. You want a father who has got your back. You want a father who speaks words of blessing and encouragement and praise into your life. You want a father who's there with you no matter what. You see, regardless of our experience of our earthly father, we intuitively know the standard of what a father ought to be. Well, your father in heaven is all of those things and more. And his love for you is so great that you will not even comprehend it this side of eternity. I would say on this side, you may have the, the 0, 0.00 understanding of God's love. It's so great. 
The Apostle Paul talks about it as the height and the depth and the breadth and the width that that love is so good and prays that we would be able to comprehend such love. I remember I I have four children and to, to hold my children after they were born. And you can't even explain that feeling to hold your newborn child. There's just a love there that is so amazing. Now think of a father in heaven who, in a sense, holds you in his arms. And there's just an explosion of love. The beauty of being adopted by our heavenly father. And the words of salvation for us in the Bible are so amazing. Adopted, chosen, called, elected, foreknown. And I don't really understand how all those things work. And I've asked smart people to explain it to me, and I still didn't understand. But the way that you can understand that you are an adopted, called, chosen, elected son or daughter of the king is, do you love Jesus at all? Is there even a little bit of a desire to follow him and walk in his ways? Does Jesus matter to you even just a little bit? That is a sign of your conversion and your adoption being brought into the family of faith. And not only is Jesus God our Father, but the role of Jesus is a son of Abba, is a subject under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A child of Abba is a subject under the lordship of Jesus. You see, it's a package deal. God becomes our Father. Jesus becomes our Lord. And as I listen to many Christians talking, often we more often refer to Jesus as Savior, and so he is. But Savior is what gets you through the door. Lord is what takes place for the rest of your life. It's kind of the difference between crossing into the border of a country and living in that country for the rest of your life. It's kind of the difference between the wedding ceremony and the marriage. One lasts a couple of hours, the rest lasts all of life. One is a day and one is as a year. And so what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? This God who was preexistent, who was incarnate, who died and was ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God right now, is Lord of our lives. I once had a sergeant, when I asked him to do something in the army, he, with a twinkle in his eye, jokingly would say, you're not the boss of me. And of course, he'd go do it. But there's a temptation for all of us to say to everybody around us, you're not the boss of me. And there's even a temptation to say that with God. Well, brothers and sisters, he is the boss of you. Your boss sometimes may wear the stars, but our boss, he made the stars. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and we were made to subject our lives under his authority. I remember once trying to share with an older gentleman, and what he said grieved me so much. He said, Mark, it is personally offensive to me that any being would want me to subject myself in worship to him. And I thought, oh, he just doesn't get who God in heaven is. He doesn't get his awesome splendor and get his majesty. And he doesn't get the fact that you and I were designed to live a relationship subordinate to God as our Lord and we as his loyal subjects. That relationship, that subjection to his authority is actually what sets us free. It's what gives us purpose and meaning in life in ways that are wonderful and beautiful. And this statement, I love the statement of Paul that one day every knee shall bow 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. It doesn't say half the people. It says every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. And think about that, that one day at the name of Jesus, Xi Jinping, the prime emperor of China, will bow his knee and confess with his lips. One day, Vladimir Putin, the ruler of Russia, will bow his knee and confess with his lips that Jesus is Lord. One day, President Donald Trump will bow with his knee and confess with his lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, all of the justices of the Supreme Court will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. One day, both houses of Congress, both aisles, will bow their knee and confess with their lips, Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's two ways that you and I can do that. One is that we, as his adopted children, see the beauty of his majesty and we fall in our face and worship to him. I served as a pastor for a while in Massachusetts. And if you know in Massachusetts, they don't park cars, but they park cars. And they don't have pierced ears, they have pierced ears. And I love their expression there. And we were once in a Sunday school class, and one of the guys in just a fantastic Massachusetts accent was talking about what we would do if Jesus would come. And he said, man, if the Lord came here right now, we'd be eating rug. (laughs) And I love that picture that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we are on the floor in worship. But you know what? For those who reject Christ... Those who turn their backs for them, one day at the manifestation of Jesus, they will have no choice but to bow their knee and confess with their lips. But they will do it in sheer terror and anguish, knowing they have rejected him. Don't you want to be one who bows in delight of Jesus as Lord of our lives? And you see, when we get this locked right in a place, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us the grace and peace that come from God our Father and our Lord. It is like a wellspring is opened up into our lives that flows grace into us. The grace that existed before you is the grace that brought you to faith, that is the grace that keeps you in faith, and is the grace that carries you home. To be in this environment of a God who loves you no matter what you do, And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. You were kept as a beloved child. And that peace flows as a result of that. That we have peace with God and then the peace of God. And you may think of different people at different times and places who have modeled that peace in an amazing way. This church was modeling in Thessalonica the grace and peace of the Lord. And I think of two people that I've come across, just of many that struck in my mind of modeling this in an amazing way. One is a woman by the name of Katie Mullins, as I was a chaplain serving a a chapel congregation in Germany many years ago, and she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And sadly, she was only given weeks to live. Her husband was a first sergeant and had a young daughter. Uh, When I went to the hospital, I just wondered what condition that I would see her in. Where where would she be? And as I walked into that hospital room, here is a woman who is radiating peace. And I I just can't believe what I'm seeing. She says, Mark, my heart is broken. This is hard. 
but I know God is with me and He will take care of us. And being the one who came in to provide ministry, I left the one who received ministry. But there was a peace that surpassed all understanding because grace and peace were flowing into this person in an amazing and a powerful way. Another one I think is a friend of mine who's retired now, but he was a Green Beret and he was sharing a story, a wonderful man by the name of Mike. One of those guys, if you hung out with him a little bit of Jesus, would always rub off on you. But he shared a story in Afghanistan as he was riding in the back of a pickup truck on this rocky mountain road and all of a sudden the enemy started to fire at them. They could see the bullets striking the mountain face behind them and they tried to return fire. And if you could imagine being in a shaking vehicle on a rocky road, the likelihood of you having any success being able to put down any type of suppressive fire. And so what did he do? He put down his weapon and he just started to laugh in the back of the pickup truck saying, what a wonderful time for me to trust in the hands of a loving God. Isn't that crazy? Guy getting shot at laughing in a pickup truck in Afghanistan because he knows it's well with his soul. You see, that's the kind of grace and peace that is and can be ours in increasing abundance when we understand that God is our Father, that we are adopted and we are living a life of delighted submission in Jesus our Lord. And so that is the first mark and really the most important mark that is the wellspring of all of the other marks of unwavering faith. So the second one is a church whose faith is growing abundantly. Don't you celebrate that if you're a gardener, if you like to do things in your yard? Don't you just feel great when everything is going as you hoped it would? And it is growing in increasing abundance. And I'm looking at some folks that may have not had that success that others have been wishing for. You know, at the, at the state fair, you give the blue ribbon to the biggest pumpkin, right? Not the shriveled little one. We celebrate the great growth that is taking place. And after retiring from the military, it's nice to be in one place for a while and know that now if I move, it's our fault. And it's been great to plant things in our yard and to see those things growing. And I celebrate what's growing well, but I'm grieved and frustrated and often confused by what's not growing well. And by the way, we've got some hydrangea bushes that are not doing good. So if there are any experts in the congregation, this is a call for help. I will receive your mentoring to know how to help these things grow well. Well, in the same way, when we see brothers and sisters in Christ growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, when we see faith growing and building, we celebrate that and we delight that. When we see a church growing and building in who they are in Christ, what a wonderful blessing that is, that gives us great joy. And it's important to realize that when we think about the church that is growing in faith, that God is our grower, that it is God the one who brings the growth, that the disciplines of faith, of reading the scriptures and times of prayer and fellowship with one another are not an end in themselves, but they are a means of grace to help us grow in our relationship and our faith with Jesus. And we've got to go through this process that I call weed and feed. But you've got to remove the things in your life that are hindering your growth in grace. The distractions, the things that trip you up, those things that are a greater priorities than your relationship with the Lord. Those things that sort of commingle to slow you down in the faith. Pull them out and take them away. But then we have to pursue God as a vine and branches that He is the one who brings us growth. 
And the goal for us is to be people who are growing in the grace and the knowledge and obedience of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this in reference to that. And the love of every one of you is increasing. That increasing, that growth that is taking place. You see, what's beautiful about this is that it is a church that is growing vertically, but they're also growing horizontally. And honestly, we can't grow this way well unless we grow this way. It is hard to love people as Christ love if we are not understanding the love of Christ in our own lives. And this is the beautiful thing, since we all share something in common, we're adopted into God's family, that, that you're my spiritual sibs. And if you look around at the people to your left and right, they are your spiritual sibs. Siblings in Christ, brothers and sisters with a special relationship, supporting, loving, and serving one another. And a church that manifests love for itself manifests the love of Jesus Christ in wonderful and powerful ways. And I would say in this time in our country, there's a number of ways for us to be able to grow in our love for one another. You know, this time of COVID, to to look at a congregation with masks and think like the Lone Ranger, who was these masked men and women? And that to make changes for the health and the safety, but the good of the church. And to realize often for every decision you make, probably two people are dissatisfied with that decision. But to realize that we have to model love for one another in grace. To think about who are those that have been most affected by COVID as well, and to be a lover of the least of these in this situation. When I think about the opportunities to grow in our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, I think about the issue of of racism that has been so uh, clearly rampant in our context right now. And to think about what it means to grow in love for one another. And to ask myself, when I think of the other, could there possibly be the sin of apathy and indifference? that I just don't care about the other who is a brother and sister in Christ. And I think of the, the phrase, black lives matter, and I absolutely believe the truth that a black life matters. But that same term is connected to an organization that is so far from the teaching of the Church of Christ. So I want to give you as brothers and sisters in Christ something I just heard recently from Glenn Sunshine, who is a senior fellow for the Colson Fellows, He said, black lives are sacred. And I would encourage you to say that and to think that, to to, to raise the bar in terms of acknowledging the image of God in another who is created by God. A sacred, special life in God's image. And to, to pray the Lord to ask us what he's calling us to do. Maybe it's to lament for the hardships and the injustices that have taken place in the lives of others. Maybe it's to ask him to put into our minds and eyes someone to reach out to, to build a relationship of trust and faith where you can hear the story of another. And maybe to ask the question, you know, what am I not hearing? What am I not seeing? And do I have the humility to hear what is being shared? The beauty about the body of Christ coming together is a special thing. One of the things that I do in addition to serving on the pastoral team is I travel to the developing south to train pastors. 
And it is so delightful to be with these brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And I remember one time I was in Egypt, and I love to worship with these folks. Egyptians are such party animals in Jesus' name. They just love to celebrate. And, and we were singing together, and they're singing, obviously, in Arabic. And all of a sudden, I catch the tune of a song, and I go, they're singing, shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory in Arabic. And I thought, how wonderful, how lovely. Here is this Christian minority in this Muslim country, and they're praying for the Father's glory to fill this land. And I am one with these brothers and sisters, not because of our language or because of our DNA, but because we have an adopted father who makes us spiritual sibs together. And as we think about increasing in love for each other, a very uh, good way to look at that is to have joy. And what I mean by that is three letters, Jesus, others, and yourself. If you keep that priority, you will have joy in your life, Jesus, others, and you, and you will grow in your capability to love. And so it's a loving deeper that God is calling us to in our own fellowship but also a loving wider as we reach out to others as well in love. That we are called to love our spiritual sibs and to see the love of Jesus deepen and widen in all circumstances. And finally, mark number four, a church that is unwavering is a church that is faithfully enduring persecutions and hardships. You see, Paul was no stranger to suffering. He had the scars on his body that were the result of his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to experience the pain, and now he hears of a church that he planted, the church in Thessalonica going through hardship, but seeing them persevering in that suffering and in that difficulty. I would encourage you to read about brothers and sisters who are in persecution Organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and International Christian Concern and many others have free magazines that you can get and they share stories about our brothers and sisters suffering for the faith. And just this week, I, I received word of two stories that literally happened this week that blew my mind. One was a Muslim background believer. And you think about the people who are really heroes of the faith. Think about folks who come to faith in Christ out of a Muslim context. And the teaching is that they could be killed. Many are exploited and coerced and forced, raped and beaten. But for them to come out of that faith and to forsake their family to trust in Christ. But then often they have a hard time finding a place of fellowship because they keep an eye on the churches. And the churches can be spotlighted. And you have these people steadfast in faith because of the testimony of Christ. So just this week, one of our missionaries, and I'm not going to mention who they are for the sake of security, talked about a five-year-old a five boy who was abducted by folks. And listen to this story. He says, they took him quite a distance away. They put him in a room alone. He refused to eat their food, and, but he did drink their water. They asked him to deny Christ, and he flatly refused. Later that day, they brought in guns and fired several shots at him. Nothing hit him. Either they were threatening him or the Lord Jesus deflected the bullets. And then on Tuesday morning, 
Apparently, just before the break of day, Jesus Christ himself opened the door and this boy walked out. He walked through thorny bushes, but no thorns poked through his shoes. He walked all day and all evening straight to his house about 9 p.m. I mean, that sounds like the book of Acts. And this is a five-year-old boy standing for his testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And then this week as well, a man who I've had the privilege to teach when I've been in Ethiopia, a brother by the name of Mesfin, who is the, the dean of students of the Rift Valley Bible College in Ethiopia, he had his house burnt down by arsonists and they lost everything. I mean, this is just this week of brothers and sisters standing fast in their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important to realize about what the grace is in persecution is that hardship destroys false faith. And that may sound odd at first, but think about that. For all that somebody could lose, why would they stand up for someone or something that really wasn't that important? And you want to learn what your convictions are, put them to the ultimate test. And what a way to see and to prove the testimony of people's faith that my love for Jesus is so much greater that I'm willing to undergo suffering and hardship as a result. And what persecution often does is it purifies our faith as well. That it sets aside the wheat and the chaff and allows us to grow. And amazingly, James says to count it all joy joy when you experience trials for what it does to our faith. So as we think about these things, I'd like for us to consider these next steps as we conclude our message today. Step number one, give thanks to God when you see faith and love increasing in the church. See, this is one of these things that Paul said in in this letter that we are compelled to give thanks to God because of what we see going on in you. That when you see a church, when you see people growing in faith, praise God. Give thanks to him when you see that love increasing. Secondly, encourage others going through hardship when you see faith and love in their lives. You see, when someone is going through hardship and difficulty, especially when it's a result of their faith, the most important thing that they need is encouragement. A couple of weeks ago, I was catching up with some friends who were leaders in ministry, and it was uh, overwhelming that uh, all three that I spoke to were going through a difficult trial. One had a son who was deeply rebelling and causing great grief in their family. Another was just at a place where he was acknowledging a struggle with an addiction and willing to take the steps to get on top of it. Another was working with a a boss who was just making his life miserable. But as I listened to each of these three brothers, I could hear grace in their voices. And I could see a peace of God in the midst of the pain. And all that I did was essentially say, I see grace in you. And it was amazing, like this wilted plant, having water poured into it to refresh it. So when you see others and you sense and know that they may be struggling, just be on the watch out where you see Jesus in their life. And just go to them and point that out. I see Christ in you in this circumstance. And you have given a breath of life to someone who needs breath greatly. Thirdly, 
Step number three, do the hard work of getting your identity and your story right. You see, many of us have allowed the lies of the devil, the whispers of this world to cloud and confuse who and what we are and whose our identity really is. And this is the time and the place that we have to realize that our identity is as an adopted child, loved by grace, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, if you don't, you'll have what I often call the attack of the lesses. You'll hear those voices, you're worthless, it's helpless, it's useless. When those things happen, we have to stand firm on the truth of what God's life is all about for us. And I want to give you something that I would encourage you to write this down as something that would be so helpful for us each and every day. It comes from James Bryan Smith, the writer on the forming of the Christian faith. It says that I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. You know, King David wrote these interesting psalms, and one psalm is amazing. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. And it's interesting, David is having a conversation with his soul. He's giving his soul a talking to. Yo, soul, what's up? Why are you looking so sad, so droopy? And he speaks words of encouragement and truth into his own soul. And just think about that in the times when the lessons are coming and affecting you. Just to say, I am one in whom God dwells and delights. And I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Boy, if we can just get that right, if we can just lock that in, it can help us to find the enduring faith to keep persevering. And then step number four. Run to God, your Father, by placing your trust in Jesus and his saving work. And if you have never done that, I'd encourage you to cross the threshold of faith. All that Jesus wants is a heart that says yes to him. And to know that once you've done that, you are adopted into his heavenly family and you have the marks of persevering faith. I love Brother Mark Wilkening. We've been on a running, joshing, teasing of one another about the spelling of our names. If you see my name, my name is spelt M-A-R-C, which I deeply believe is the correct spelling. But guess what? Brother Mark is of the tribe of K. He thinks it's M-A-R-K. And so I call him Special K. I always say C comes before K, and then he says K gets the final word. We are not two of the four marks of unwavering faith. But we are marks who ought to have the marks of unwavering faith. The Bobs and the Bettys, the Joes and the Janes, the Tims and the Tammies, each one is called to have these signs of unwavering faith in their lives. You remember the children's game? This is the church. This is the steeple. <laughs> Open the doors and look at the people. And the question is, what kind of peeps are in the church? Are these the kind of peeps that know that Jesus is their Lord and God is their Father? Are these the kind of peeps that are growing in their faith with Jesus Christ? Are these the kind of peeps that are growing in love for one another? And are these the kind of peeps that are so committed to Jesus that they're willing to persevere through hardship and suffering, not rejecting the testimony of Jesus Christ? Let's pray.
Our God, we thank you for the revelation of your word. And Lord, when I think about the fact that I am standing in the presence of adopted sons and daughters of the High King of Heaven, what an amazing, amazing gift of love that you have given to us. And Lord, give us the grace of faith to get this right and to realize that as you have become our Father, Jesus has become our Lord, and we delightfully submit our lives to him. You are Lord. So increase our faith, God, and increase our love for one another, and give us persevering faith that pushes through the hardest and the darkest of times, because you are better than any other earthly thing. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name.